Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Aquadox, the podcast that keeps you up to date on all things aquatic medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Greenfield. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Roy Yanong, Professor and Extension Veterinarian at the University of Florida Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory, and Dr. Hugh Mitchell, Private Veterinarian Associated with Aquatactics by Meta. On this episode, we're going to chat about the formation of AAFE and the importance of having a specific fish vet organization and certification program. And a special shout out to AAFE at large for partnering with us over the past year and helping to support Aquadocs. We're truly grateful for the opportunity to share more aquatic educational resources. And speaking of which, the AAFE conference is happening next week, so if you haven't signed up, there's still time to get there. And with that, I'd love to welcome Roy and Hugh to the show. Hey guys, welcome to Aquadox. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's the same, Michelle. Nice seeing you again. It is great to have you guys back on. You each had your own episodes. Hugh on episode 42, hashtag get vaxxed fish edition. And Roy on episode 14, fish diagnostic laboratory. But today we're talking about AAFE. So Hugh, why don't you start us off and introduce us to the history of AAFE? So officially the AAFE is 10 years old this year. It goes way back. So the birth of AAFE probably goes back to the early 90s when there was no association whatsoever for veterinarians interested in fish. Now there's the AQVMC, the Aquatic Veterinary Medical Committee of the AVMA that has been around since about 93, 94. And that came into being partly because there were a couple of fish vets looking to get together and looking to delve into common issues that they were encountering. And to be specific, there were two main issues And they were the realization that for private fish farms, the rules and regulations governing fish disease were very centered on stock enhancement fish hatcheries, both state, federal, and tribal, especially in the Northeast and Northwest. And there was a veterinarian in Washington State at the time, Dr. John Pitts, one of the original Salmonid veterinarians in the country. And at that time, I was on a private salmon farm in Maine, and we both ran into some regulatory issues that we were a little bit perplexed as to why they were the way they were. We approached Joe Gloyd, who was a staff member at the AVMA, asking for help to navigate some of these disease regulations. At the same time, the FDA really came down hard on unapproved pharmaceutical for food fish, and probably rightly so, but they did a survey for, I think, trout, catfish, and salmon producers, and maybe tilapia producers, and found out that compounds they had on hand that were unapproved for use in food fish had therapeutic uses, according to the literature. So they, in an abrupt way, they sort of took those away. Until that time, veterinarians could prescribe pharmaceuticals for food fish extra labely, And so it was a huge crisis and representatives of the various sectors met in Washington, D.C. with the FDA to try and plead their case and figure out how to increase the paucity of what was now the medicine chest for food fish. And that's where I did meet Dr. Pitts. So for our listeners who might not be as familiar with what it means to be giving drugs extra labelly, why was this so important that we needed to draw attention to it? 
That's a great question. For food animals, there's quite a regulatory gauntlet if a manufacturer wants to bring a fish pharmaceutical through the full licensing process so it can be used in food fish. And that involves human food safety and environmental safety, plus efficacy, uh, therapeutic residual tests, etc. Effect of that is just about every pharmaceutical that's approved to be used in food animals has a very strict withdrawal time that's been worked out meticulously to ensure that there isn't any remaining drug in the food animal prior to slaughter. So you have the drug proven to be safe even if it's there, and you also have an environmental safety aspect. And that's not exhaustive, but those are the important parameters that the FDA demands a pharmaceutical company works out. And up until that point, there were only two antibiotics, for example, available for food fish back then. And so most of the antibiotics being used were extra label. In other words, drugs that relied on the veterinarian's judgment to prescribe. And so they had to use their own uh, knowledge of pharmacokinetics, pharmadynamics to judge which would be safe. It's all on their responsibility, all on their own license. And at this point, there weren't a lot of dedicated fish veterinarians, correct? Yes. It gave them the impetus to set up what was then the Aquaculture and Seafood Advisory Committee, which changed its name within the last decade to the AQVMC. So veterinarians were chosen from various sectors in fish, industrial, private practice, government, for example, maybe eight to 10 veterinarians. And we convened once or twice a year to talk about these kind of issues. Now, what's important was this was always going to be a stopgap because, you know, there are swine practitioner associations. There's a bovine practitioner association. There wasn't a Fish Practitioners Association. So right from the start, there were discussions. The first serious discussion was probably between myself and Dr. Myron Kebis. At that time, it was around the year 2000. And we felt at that time, maybe we should look at forming a Fish Practitioners Association parallel to what a bovine practitioner, a swine practitioner association would be. And then uh, we had further discussions with Dr. Yanong and Dr. Klontz, a longtime fish practitioner. Everybody was for that. So at that time, there was the International Association of Aquatic Animal Medicine. Now, it wasn't just fish. It was all aquatic animals. So you had fish and you had marine mammals as well. You know, a few of us had attended a lot of those meetings, including Dr. Yanong. And so an original idea was, well, maybe they could be the association to represent fish veterinarians, even though they had non-veterinarians in their fold. We thought, well, maybe we can approach them and have a sub-chapter of just fish veterinarians to tackle some of these issues that we were facing as licensed professionals. Now, in 2004, IAAAM's meeting was in Galveston, Texas, and Roy and I put together a program just for fish veterinarians called Expanding Private Practitioner Opportunities in Fish Medicine. And it was one of the first fish medicine-only sessions put on. And so the veterinarians at that time who were involved in fish all came and gave a talk on their respective areas. It was a very successful session, and it really stated well what we were trying to do, and that was focus on clinical fish medicine, because up until that time, 
Most fish health sessions that we attended were really fish disease, and they focused on the pathogen and pharmaceuticals, but they didn't delve into sort of the whole medical approach to solving a problem. You know, we would attend other traditional veterinary conferences and seminars like the AVMA's conference. And we noticed you would have, you know, maybe a whole morning on flea control. What are the latest developments in flea control? We never saw anything like that in fish in terms of, okay, here's a common disease we've been dealing with for decades. Let's compile a program addressing those clinical aspects of this disease. What are the latest things we can bring to try to combat this problem? Roy, do you want to take over? <laughs> so yeah, he was right. It was really exciting times back in 2004. I do want to mention that IAAAM was founded in 1969. So those folks had been around for a while, definitely focused on marine mammals with fish to a degree. And that was kind of a little bit away from where we wanted to go. As you mentioned, 2004, we did a pre- conference session called Training Private Practitioner Opportunities in Fish Medicine. Again, really, really exciting and a lot of great feedback from that. I think IAAAM was excited as well. They allowed us to continue with the more focused fish sections in the next couple of meetings. In 2005, we did a joint session for the first time, which meant that we had concurrent sessions, which were successful in some points of view and not successful in others. This was when they met in Seward, Alaska. One of the things that we were trying to do was really see if we could get IAAAM to focus a little more heavily on fish than they had in the past. So when we did the joint session, basically two full days that were running at the same time as the other IAAAM sessions, which again, if you're kind of a generalist and you want to see it all, I could understand some disappointment with some of those folks. For those of us that were really not doing a lot of work with marine mammals, this was kind of our area. And so we were really excited and we had a lot of great speakers and sessions and, and times when we with each other about medicine and, and management. And so that, as I mentioned, kind of received sort of a mixed reactions um, from those that really liked it to those that really didn't because of the inability to see all the sessions if you were interested in marine mammals and fish. In 2006, we again got the blessing from IAAAM and we did a, a fish practitioners workshop which really, again, allowed us to do a little bit more focused on fish medicine and kind of clinical medicine and those issues, as you had kind of mentioned. And that was the year Hugh and I got enough courage to go up to the IAAAM board, asking them if they would advocate and allow us to advocate for a fish veterinary subchapter for IAAAM. To us, it seemed really logical and reasonable. And I think there was a lot of probably excitement for some other folks in the same room, but then there were others there who kind of told us essentially that the mission of IAAAM was really not going to allow them to do a more advocacy type group with fish. And so that was definitely a downer for us. I remember speaking with some of the folks afterwards who were kind of disappointed, but you know we understood IAAAM has a different mission. And so those three years when you and I really pushed with a lot of our colleagues to see if we could get IAAAM to do this, so I think we got a lot of energy from those and really I think kind of helped push it to the next level because this is kind of when there was discussions between whether we needed a national group or more of an international group for, for fish practitioners and trying to figure out what the best way to kind of do that was. So here, you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. Actually, you just reminded me of a story too from early on. When the FDA convened representatives from the various aquaculture sectors in the states to come to Washington, D.C. and sit down and talk about medicines for 
fish from our various sectors. I remember sitting down the group and there were only, I think myself and John Pitts were the veterinary representatives. And we got laughed at for being veterinarians involved in fish. And I remember a comment at the table where I, I've never heard of such a thing since when are veterinarians involved in fish? So it was an extreme novelty to many outside the profession. And I will say also within the veterinary profession that fish were under the veterinary purview or could be. It was a sudden realization that again, fish were not an accepted offshoot within veterinary medicine. So at that time there was a world Aquatic Veterinary Medical Association being formed in the early 2000s. And so after we were a little bit frustrated that IAAAM, as Dr. Young said, wouldn't take us under their fold. And again, the main reasons were their charitable status designation, preventing them from being both an advocate for fish medicine or taking even a policy stand. That was the last straw is that, well, if you can't take policy stands, that's sort of what associations need to be doing that represent their members. So we did look at the World Aquatic Veterinary Medical Associations being, okay, maybe this could be the, the avenue for us to get American fish vet issues handled and discussed. And we tried that for a bit, but again, we really felt that it was important that we had to have American fish veterinary issues and policies addressed specifically. And so it was almost a branch off that where we decided that, okay, we better think seriously about grouping together as a national association. And we did entertain the idea of being a subchapter of WABMA, but we thought we better start on our own and then come back to them as we grew in numbers and strength and momentum. I have a question for you since you're mentioning people like Dr. Myron Kebis, Dr. Pitt, you are all fish veterinarians that are still actively practicing today and, and very well known. So how many people are you actually talking about when you were trying to form AAFE that it was potentially going to affect who are already practicing fish veterinarians? So the, the original association that we set up or, or the group of fish veterinarians we contacted, the number was about 24. We actually did a poll in May 2012 as the association was sort of loosely forming as to what the various issues were at that time. Number one was the veterinary profession's leadership in fish health. When I say leadership, I mean we weren't even thought of there seemed to be resistance or ignorance as to what we as veterinarians could bring to the table. I think the other one was there was a lot of lay practice and even bad medicine out there. That was the second issue that was flagged as we wanted to make sure that as in traditional veterinary medicine, even human medicine, that we worked to up the quality and standards of what fish medicine was. Number three was the lack of knowledge by the public on providers of fish medicine. We know that, especially in the aquarium trade, and Roy can speak to that, but also in stock enhancement and private aquaculture, there wasn't a really good database or place where somebody could go to try and find the standard of fish medicine, a provider of that. Number four, again, was the illegal fish pharmaceuticals available 
or legally dispensed. So we wanted to take what FDA had initially flagged and flesh that out and work on that to both help them prohibit those pharmaceuticals that were illegal or not approved and also work to try and improve access to and registration of those pharmaceuticals to help in the medicine chest that we needed. And then the fifth one was welfare issues. You know, things like we talked about fishes prizes at fairs, handling shipping conditions, even euthanasia standards were not set for fish. And it's almost assumed that why you don't need them for fish. There's no hint of any sentience. They're just swimming bags or reflexes. So that's not needed as with terrestrial medicine. So those were five key issues that came back after we did the poll. And that was only with 24 other people. So, Hugh, I wanted to add also that you mentioned 24, but really there were a lot of veterinarians that worked with fish. I mean, I think part of it was the public aquarium and kind of zoo vets. They sort of looked at it as part of a general approach, zoo medicine. And so, you know, even if there are folks that do a lot of different species, there still needs to be specialization in fish because they are so different from some of the other animals seen in the zoo setting. And then also, you know, as we looked at the different areas in fish practice or fish medicine, there's also lab animal. Obviously, you know, fish are really important in labs. And there was growing awareness that zebrafish and kind of medicine involved with that was really important. And then, of course, natural resources. You know, there really weren't a lot of veterinarians working in natural resources in state and federal agencies for a while. And it's really increased quite a bit. But again, Pulling all these different groups together was one thing that we were sort of looking at because we did have a common bond, even though we sort of looked at things maybe slightly differently. That's a good point, Roy. As you pointed out, I think fish is a big enough group, what, 33,000 species in the world, maybe 600 right now are cultivated, and that doesn't include ornamentals. So this all came together nicely. And, and Roy's right. I mean, the, I think it was a core of 24. We knew there were a lot of other veterinarians out there as we know today with the membership being close to 300. So from the questionnaire that we put out and the issues we got back from various practitioners, we sort of formulated a mission statement and to read it, to further the art and science of fish veterinary medicine by enhancing and promoting knowledge, proficiency, professional standards, and viability of fish medicine for veterinarians to increase the value, visibility, and acceptance of fish veterinary medicine for our stakeholders. And then lastly, ultimately, to improve fish, human, and environmental health. So it nicely encompasses the initial goals. One thing I, I do want to mention, but we think fish people are just like more cool and laid back in general. So we, we were kind of a, the cool kids that were like nerds in the corner, you know. There, there was kind of this sort of thing <laughs> with fish. It should almost have been in the mission statement. Never confuse lack of solemnness with lack of seriousness. That, I think, as uh, Dr. Yunam points out, the initial group was you know, a heck of a good time to get together. And that was another focus of the association was to bring us all together and share stories and jokes and more jokes and more stories and, and in the end, improve on fish medicine. And that's certainly something that I can appreciate as well now that I'm entering this field, because whether I'm at AquaVet or talking with colleagues, everyone says, oh, the fish vets, you got to go to Eastern Fish Health. You got to go to the AAFE conference. Those guys have 
so much fun. You know, it's like 2 a.m. and they're still out there chatting, partying, hating out. Like these are the folks that you want to really get to know and spend time with. So I really do appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and, and to maybe simplify and maybe to a fault simplify what we thought was missing before we decided to come together and form this association was there was a predominance of three areas. What's the pathogen? What do you use to treat the pathogen? Or how can you get rid of the pathogen? And that seemed to sum up what we had been seeing within fish health sessions up until this point. And again, we know as veterinarians, it's so much more than that, so much more multifaceted. You know, client relations, the business practice of fish health, compliance, how you deal with paucity, and there still is a paucity, especially for food animals in the medicine chest, husbandry strategies, management strategies to control a disease. We really wanted to focus again on clinical medicine and not just be so pathogenocentric oriented. Thank you for the summary, Hugh. Now, Roy, I know you've been working a lot on developing a board certification for fish. Can you tell our listeners more about that? Sure. For our listeners who may not be familiar with this, just like in the medical profession, there are board specialties for ears, nose, throat, cancer. There's likewise similar specialties in the veterinary field. It's a little bit different though in the veterinary field because we're dealing with more than just one species. So in the veterinary field, there's actually boards for specific species groups as well as specialty boards looking at different types of diseases or systems. So one of the things that had been part of our mission really was to develop a fish practice specialty board. And this was implied within our mission statement. So we wanted to increase professional standards. And the best way to do that is really to have a board certification. With a board certification went through a couple iterations. Can we do it with the American College of Zoological Medicine. You know, they have a board, they have an aquatic subspecialty, but it really focuses on don't work with. Then we looked at maybe trying to do it through the American Fishery Society because they do have specializations to a degree. So finally, ultimately, we did decide and to begin looking at what would be required for a proposal to the AVMA, essentially the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners for a fish specialty practice. And in 2013, and then again in 2014, we went up to give proposals to the big ABVP. They looked at it very favorably, but there was a lot of concern because of the numbers of folks. You know, we were a relatively small group at the time. They were afraid there weren't going to be enough people to actually run the board, let alone maybe take the exams, et cetera, and kind of maintain it over the course of years. And so they suggested that we try to develop a certificate process. Kind of on parallel, WAVMA had developed a certificate process, which was a lower tier sort of beginning aquatics certificate. And so it actually worked out that seven, eight years later, we reinvigorated the search for a board, reapproached ABVP. And because of a lot more folks being involved with the WAVMAR certificate, as well as a, a much larger uh, number of members in the AAFV, they really were much more favorable. And so we are kind of going ahead and it looks really promising. There was a, an article recently in JAVMA, the journal of the AVMA, about the board. And now with a number of other folks involved, we're really looking forward to hopefully having that finished and open for our first diplomat in 2023. So that's kind of the plan that we have a lot to do ahead of time in order to get that ready. But we're really moving fast forward now, Mach 10 at this point, really, to try to get everything accomplished to to reach those goals. 
Wow. That's amazing. 2023. That's very soon. That's amazing. Definitely. Yeah. We're all excited. And like I said, there's a lot of work to do credentialing the exam. We've got a lot of really great people on this committee. I think 25 or 26 fish veterinarians who are going to be working to get all of this organized. And I want to, I can't name them all individually, but shout out to all of them for all the work that they're going to be putting in as well as work that they've already put in to do this. Well, and I'm glad you highlighted the board and that it's going to be so soon because that's something I really want to touch upon right now is we talked about this great history of AAFV and how we're coming together as a fish vet community. But in 2022 and forward, Roy, maybe you can touch upon what AAFE can do for current veterinarians. Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest things that we can do as a group, which is probably maybe a little obvious, is that we are a group of folks like-minded who are really, really willing to share expertise, discuss cases, help folks that are interested in kind of getting more into fish. You know, one of the things I've seen, and I probably get a call at least once a week from a hobbyist who wants to see a veterinarian, you know, so in addition to the aquaculture community, lab animal, natural resource, et cetera, there's definitely a growing interest. So I think there's a lot more veterinarians who are maybe a little hesitant and we're kind of that group that will be happy to, I don't want to say handhold, that sounds, you know, condescending, but definitely to uh, help lift folks up to the level where they get a little more comfortable and know where their resources are. So I think that's probably the biggest thing we can do for vets as well as vet students. And because you mentioned those hobbyists calling in, I do want to draw attention to a part of the AAFB website, which is Find a Fish Vet, where if you are a practicing veterinarian who sees fish, you can contact them and put your information up there so that clients can find you and vice versa. If you're listening and you have fish and you're looking for a veterinarian, it's a great resource to find practitioners who are in your area or nearby areas who would be willing to see your fish. Yeah. Excellent point. Appreciate you bringing that up. So yeah, definitely. If there are folks that are not members of AAFB and you do see fish, we encourage you to join. You know, again, we're trying to increase the level of fish practice with the board certification. We're trying to get more folks knowledgeable in as the fact that there are veterinarians and a lot more growing number that work with fish in a lot of different venues. So the education really is not just for the hobbyist group, but it's really for even agencies. It's also for even some of our veterinary colleagues. You know, I think there's a lot more vets now that realize fish is kind of a thing. Many years ago, kind of used this story, like when I was first graduating in 92, me and a couple of folks were really interested in fish medicine. One of our really, really well-respected small animal clinicians said, you know, Roy, there's no jobs for fish, you know, out there. You know, we just kind of shook our heads and we got jobs immediately after in fish. But I think there's still kind of hesitancy for the veterinary profession to realize that fish are a thing, even with Hugh and John Pitt starting AVMA, ASAC, now AQVMC back in the early 90s. It took a little while to, to get that. So I think we're kind of really on a, a fast track now. And also, you know, there's lots of continuing education that you mentioned earlier. AFE has been putting on a conference lately, which I was fortunate enough to attend and present at this past year. So it seems like for practitioners who are either already in the field or entering right now, there's a lot more energy and a lot more opportunities to learn more and also teach others about fish medicine. And although we're striving to be a subspecialty, it's really important to point out that there are a myriad of fields within fish medicine that a practitioner can go into. And I think, again, one of the missions or one of the purposes of the AFV was to make fish an accepted veterinary animal so that, let's say, a small animal practitioner 
would be perfectly okay to see a fish that came into their practice. Still is a little bit abnormal now to think of a fish as a regular veterinary animal, but when you think of all the fields that fish veterinarians currently are in, you have lab animal, you have industry, maybe ancillary industries like pharmaceutical companies, fish feed companies, you have public stock enhancement facilities, you have display aquariums, you have fully private food fish, you have pet fish, and you have ecological natural resource positions on top of that too. So even though it's a specialized field, we're still very diverse in terms of our interests and where we practice. And then getting back to, you, you had asked what students and practitioners could get out of this association. You know, we try and keep up to speed on issues and there are lots of issues, especially fish health that get, especially up here in the Pacific Northwest that get into the public realm. And so we can be experts commenting on that, but to be up to speed on that, again, we're a great conduit for connections. And as Roy pointed out, we're good for social and we're good also for things like case reports. And I have to point out that we're striving to have a monthly social online get together. And right now it's every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. There's a Zoom social call and it's a little bit informal, but people are welcome to present cases and talk about things and we've talked about we we've talked about issues we've talked about the politics of fish veterinary medicine we've talked about favorite netflix shows so we try and keep it loose and serious and so that's something to tune into another function that we provide is what do we do what's being a fish practitioner look like we provide externships we provide jobs a lot of us are looking for one or two trainees to sort of take over, especially those of us near retirement. But I think what's most important is we certainly are pretty open and welcoming to offer guidance. So to try and impart what we've learned over the years and sort of what are the pitfalls and what to do, where to go. And, and so we're, we're open to that. And I think that's been something that I personally have really benefited from where, you know, I'm still training, looking for opportunities, and I've been honored to be a part of the student committee of AAFE. And we've been really trying to put information out there for other students to become more part of this community. So like you're mentioning, there's a big externship Excel file now on the website for students who are interested in finding externships that might be more fish heavy. You're mentioning mentorship. There are going to be opportunities coming up in the future for students to get paired with a mentor. The first Thursday networking events, which might start with a case report, pretty much always end up just chatting and hanging out with people. I mean, it was through an AAFD event that I actually met Dr. Myron Kebis and the Wisconsin DNR folks who I got to spend part of my summer with working with them. So it's an incredible community. I should also mention that there is a scholarship available for students that I was fortunate enough to receive two years ago. So if you're listening and you're interested in pursuing some sort of externship or summer program or anything else that involves fish, there are some scholarships available every year that you can apply for. Those are due in the summer typically. So lots of really great resources for students to either get involved, take advantage of, all the things to learn more about what it means to be a fish practitioner. 
Yeah, definitely so many different areas in fish medicine. It may even be a matter of just seeing what might work for you with regard to what your lifestyle is going to be and what you want to do and what your interests are. So, you know, it's not necessarily an all or nothing thing. There's ways to be involved and contribute to the field and be part of this group without necessarily only doing fish 100%. Yeah, and I'd like to, you know, to summarize this subdiscipline of veterinary medicine is a wonderful one. And I I don't think I would have steered my career any other way. To see where the association is now from its very beginnings is amazing. You know, it couldn't have turned out better. And I think it's a great collegial atmosphere between us. And again, it's a fantastic group and very honored and proud to be a part of this. Yeah, I agree. And and, uh, I guess my closing would be that I think you and I got into fish probably for a lot of similar reasons. I mean, part of it's, a much closer link, I think, to nature, natural resources versus maybe other types of pets, and also just the diversity. I mean, you're always going to be learning something and contributing something because of the diversity of species that are being looked at in fish medicine, and that's kind of exciting, I think, for for both of us. Yeah, and on that, again, there are about 33,000 fish species out there, and we've just begun to really cultivate a small subset of that. So it's a very leading-edge frontier, not just in cultivation, but obviously within veterinary medicine as well. Well, you've certainly done a great job demonstrating the history of how this organization came about, and like you were just saying, over 33,000 species of fish. I think there's a lot more for us to learn and to continue growing in the future. So Dr. Ganong, Dr. Mitchell, thank you so much for being here today on Aquadox and sharing the story of AAFE with us. Thanks again to Michelle and Hugh. Always a pleasure, but we really appreciate all you're doing for us and the uh, other aquatic folks, Michelle. Yeah, likewise, I echo those sentiments. And thanks once again, Michelle. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Aquadox. I'd like to thank Dr. Roy Ganong and Dr. Hugh Mitchell for being on the show this week, our sponsors WAVMA and AAFE, and all of you, our wonderful listeners, for tuning in. As always, check out our Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on the latest Aquadox news. And if you've got an extra moment, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I'm Michelle Greenfield. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you next time here on Aquadox.